Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi there. I want to talk to you about ducks. No thanks. All right. Now that's a good idea. Okay, let's go. Give me that dirty. Oh, it's a dirty. What? Oh, you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say like plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. No explanation. No point. No point. It's all part of cosmic unconsciousness. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, joined as ever with my co-host Andrew. Good afternoon, good evening sir, how are you doing today? I am okay, thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Salutations. Greetings and salutations all. The Cult Film Companion is of course available now on every major podcast platform, We are also a member of the Blind Knowledge Collective, the Blind Knowledge Face uh, website, www.blindknowledge.com, is up now. It is not fully operational, but you can at least get a little taste of what is to come in the future with Blind Knowledge. So check back uh, periodically for all sorts of podcasts and videocasts from all over the world covering all different types of subjects, topics, entertaining and informative. And of course, the Cult Film Companion podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics that you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, science, to Bitcoin and the Kardashians, and will find the latest articles and then read them to you. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 different countries. Our podcast, The Cold Film Companion, is of course there too, in the featured podcast section. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description. And please use the promo code COLTF1LM, drop the I, pop it a one, and get a month free premium subscription. So with all that out of the way, let us finish up our little musical month that we've been doing here that started with Empire Records, continued through with At Long Last Love and The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and we have now come to the latest cult rock opera, I guess you, we could say. it's Yeah, it's a rock opera. And we are talking about Repo, the genetic opera, which comes to us from director Darren Lynn Bowsman, who at the time was best known for 
directing the sequels of the Saw franchise. Well, the first three sequels, Saw 2, Saw 3, Saw 4, and has actually eventually come back to the Saw franchise with Spiral, which came out last year or the year before, which uh, starred Chris Rock. And I personally think that if you watch it as a spoof of the Saw movies, that it actually works better than an actual Saw movie. But that's a movie for a different time. Mm-hmm. You showed me a little bit of that. The uh, Yeah, the opening scene is quite just kind of out of place for a Saw movie. It's a basically... Uh, it's cut, annoying. It's a stand-up comedy routine about Forrest Gump that yeah. is uh, dated and out of place in that movie. But we're not talking about Spiral. We're talking about Repo the Genetic Opera, which was originally written and composed by Darren Smith and Terrence Zadunik, writing for this... Um, the stage show, which eventually became the movie that we're talking about today, started in 1999. 2002 saw the first performance of um, Repo, the genetic opera. It was originally known as the Necro Merchant's Debt and was not a fleshed out full story as is Repo, the genetic opera that was toured around mostly to rock clubs. And it was kind of like a touring theater production. And then in 2006, uh, Proof of Concept short film directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. Um, it was about 10 minutes long, and I know featured, instead of Alexa Vega in the lead role, featured Shawnee Smith of, uh, from the Shaw, uh, the Saw franchise and, of course, many other movies, such as the, the 1980s Blob remake and um, Who's Harry Crumb? Um, but that was that was who was the star of the proof of concept short film. Um, and love to see that. Yeah, I maybe it's around on YouTube. I didn't even look, but um, if it's out there, um, worth checking out. So, Repo the Genetic Opera, the movie that we are covering now, stars Alexa Vega, Anthony Stewart Head as her father, living a double life as a Repo man. Sarah Brightman as Blind Mag, Paris Hilton as Amber Sweet, mm-hmm. and Terence Zadunik, the uh, one of the writers and composers of the movie, stars as the Grave Robber and Ogre from the industrial rock Canadian industrial rock group Skinny Puppy is one of the brothers. And Bill Mosley portrays the other brother and the patriarch of this sordid family that runs Gene Co. is, of course, Paul Sorvino, who is, um, I found out in the research, started out as a classically trained opera singer before branching out into acting. So mm-hmm. he's got the pipes to deliver and uh, you kind of need pipes to, um, you know, start in a rock opera. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of operatic singing in this rock opera, like true operatic singing. Right, which is kind of shocking to mm-hmm. me. So the the story is is we've got this this girl who's um, the product of a single uh, family home. Her father, who works as Gene Co's uh, head repo man, and in the future. 
Geneco has found a way to pretty much offer you any sort of medical procedure that you would need to have done. We've got people receiving heart transplants, liver transplants. We even got a cornea transplant for Blind Mag. She's given eyes so that she can see. The catch is, though, that you need to keep up on your payments for these organs because if you don't, the repo man will come and literally repossess your organs. Rip it out of your body. So we've got quite the bloody, bloody affair here. and It's gruesome. It's, it's, it's like a slasher flick. Well, that's no surprise coming from... I mean, it's coming yeah. from... Saw. The, the saw. the guy from Saw. So it's interesting to me um, that this, this movie was actually chosen by you, Andrew... And you said you hated it. I did. And I I must have said, well, just give it a try or something. Somehow it made it into this roster for this month. And then upon viewing, you actually ended up liking it. Right. And I ended up hating it. Yeah. I saw it when it came out in the theaters, uh, in the movie theaters. I went with a couple friends of mine. Um, I liked it then. I thought it was... I thought it was uh, it was before the movie musical made a comeback um, with uh, Chicago and and the Baz Luhrmann movie that I always mention. I'm not going to mention it. Uh, and it actually this movie has a lot of elements of that as well in it, uh, where especially at the end where the audience is actually there's a literal audience watching the plot unfold or get to the end of its of its. Plot. Yeah, basically the third act is mm-hmm. uh, on a stage in front a of stage. a real audience. And on a dinky little stage, too, for something that is so, for Geneco, that is such a huge corporation, that's like they're in a shoebox theater. That must have been, uh, I know they, they use, I know that the director used the set for the Saw movies for this. Mm-hmm. They basically recycled it. So, uh, I mean, I that must have been part of the set or something, but it's not it's a ring, it's a little rinky dink theater that they that that they end up in. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of budget constraints. Yes. For this movie. Yes. So, the budget uh the 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 budget that I've got here is 8.5 million, which which actually is not that bad, but, you know, well, I mean, I guess in 2006, I guess for 2006, when 2008. did it come out? 2008. I guess that's pretty low. Pretty but low. But it's enough to make a, you know, for a mainstream movie, even though it wasn't a mainstream release. No, so we, it's we have, release. it's not really, well. Kind of. Yeah, it pretty, it, it kind of was. It premiered at the Fantasia Film Festival in July of 2008, and then it only had a limited release in seven cities. New York was one of them, and that's it, where I was living. November 7th, uh, 2008, had a very limited release in seven cities. Yeah. Um, I don't recall it lasting too long either. No, I wouldn't imagine so. So is uh, there a box office gross that you've got, the initial one? Yeah. Tell me. $188,126. I knew it. it. I mean, this qualifies as a cult movie already. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um... And very similarly to what happened with Bubba Hotep that we covered, this movie, um, it, they kind of toured the movie. Okay. The, the filmmakers and certain actors, you know, they could get who they could get to kind of, you know, to come do live Q&As and present the movie. So they toured this movie because they weren't getting 
the the distribution that they kind of wanted. I well, think, yeah, to recoup, right. just to recoup. Yeah, and that was kind of footed by like they kind of footed the bill for this. A lot of people kind of footed the bill. I mean, there was a, a there was a, a time during the production of the movie that they needed like fifty thousand dollars. So Paris Hilton did some nightclub performance. Like no, <laughs> scratch that. Not even a performance, just an appearance. Yeah, well that's that's what she would do. Right. She would just be seen and she'd get paid to be seen at clubs and events. Yeah. And uh so that kind of that that's kind of where they came up with fifty thousand dollars just for like a, a Paris Hilton, you know. What well, eight million wasn't enough? They still needed an I mean, what did they need fifty thousand for? Well, you got you gotta figure that we've got a pretty I mean, we've got a movie that requires actors, which you gotta pay, but not only that, they've got some names in here. So mm-hmm. you you got some people that are going to have some, you know, some sway as far as how much they get paid. Are they getting paid scale or like? Well, they might have gotten paid scale. They might have agreed to do scale just to be in it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised that was the case yeah. for certain people. Yeah, I'm um, sure Paul Sorvino was chomping at the bit to do uh, a movie where he could sing. Right. You know. So I, I, it wouldn't. That wouldn't surprise me. But still, we've got some name. But you've got to have people that are going to produce music because there's mu- original music throughout all of this. So you yeah. got to pay for musicians. You got to pay for studio time. And it's mostly sung, like Umbrellas right. of Schoburg. Yeah, I think there's very little dialogue. Yeah, th- there are some scenes that that rely on dialogue, but for the most part, it is very very musical. So we're just racking up stuff in this budget already. Sets. Costumes, special effects, a pre-recorded soundtrack, right? That they have to lip sync to. I mean, that costs money. So you have to do that all. You have to do that, and basically, that's pre-production, right? Before you start filming. So the reason that there's comic book transitions in this movie, yeah, I was wondering about this. Go on. Was for budgetary reasons. Okay, they, well, it they, works. It, it works well. It does work. For it this works movie. in yeah in a comic strip format, and it makes you wonder if it was a graphic novel because it could be a graphic novel. It really could, and a lot of those drawings were actually done by one of the original uh, writers and composers who were very very involved in this in this movie. Okay. Obviously, because one of them plays the grave robber. Right. So this was very much a passion project for mm. them and for Darren Lynn Bousman. Okay. Um. But, I mean, it's a very interesting movie because we both made 180s in different directions we did. on this movie. We did. This is the first time we've had this experience. It's also the first time that I've actually uh, hated a fl- flick. That oh, we, you hate that this. We, I, I pretty much could, couldn't wait for it to end. Wow. It was driving me crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I, I do have to say I had other things going on that evening that contributed to my anxiety and... and but this movie just triggered even more anxiety within me. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the violence in it, the gore in it especially, and the, just the perverseness of it um, re- did not sit well with me. It just it felt like I, I, fe- I felt, I felt kind of ill, actually, afterwards. See, I, yeah, and I, I think that what happened for me was that this was so 20 years ago, no, 10 years ago. Right. What? That it was released? Yeah. 2018, 2008, 2018. Yeah, around 20, 24 years ago. Yeah. So I mean, 18, I'm sorry, 14 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So 
I was big into the Saw movies right. then. And so when this came out, I remember buying it. And I remember watching it and going, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say, actually, when I was talking about, when I was talking about it is that um, I was also a fan of those Saw movies, believe it or not. I liked the first one and the second one a lot. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't watch that kind of movie anymore. But back then, I did, and I and I I, I enjoyed them. I thought I liked them as as these really twisted revenge movies. Uh, but when when uh, the genetic when Repo the Genetic Opera came out, as I said, it was before the mu- movie musical had its resurgence, and I was just delighted to go to see a movie musical, and I appreciated the fact that it that it mixed genres, that it basically mixed um, a slasher movie in with a rock opera. I thought that that was innovative, and I, and I thought that would make things, uh, that, w- that it would make the musicality of it accessible to the, you know, to the audience of that day. Um, it, so, so I did like it, and I did appreciate it when I, when I saw it in, in the theaters. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it was just kind of, I, I it wasn't, what I was expecting, someone said that it was kind of like this generation's Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. and well, I was and I was saying it. It reminded me of a mix of Sweeney Todd, uh, Blade Runner, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm pr- I think I'm pretty on on the money there with that. It's right. got elements of all three. It does. It. it really does. Yeah, uh, and it does have a lot of Rocky Horror moments, but it's not nearly as tongue in cheek as or campy. Uh, as Rocky Horror, it it really it just it goes to the darkest places you can imagine. Right. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I think that the elements that I connected with most previously, which was the the gore and the violence, I felt upon revisiting this movie a couple times over this month. That's what connected with me least, and it felt out of place for, like, the rest of this movie. What did? The violence and the gore. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't think it was really necessary. I think that it could have been toned down or just left more to your imagination. So do you think the director, the Saw, the Saw 2, 3, 4 director, decided to take it that far? Now, let's let's get into its stage inception. Okay. It was toured, toured around, I guess toured around America mm-hmm. in rock clubs. Um, when it became a, didn't it become a full-scale stage production in Los Angeles? Yes. Yeah, yes. so it... it it de- developed a big following through that. Right. Another movie that uh, I want us to do at some point, which is, um, I think it's called Space Station 76, um, also was a play in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Was, yeah, th- that was eventually filmed. Yeah, so this kind of, it kind of like gained a cult following as a, as a, as a stage show. Mm-hmm. And, and it was pretty flesh, fleshed out and complete at that point. Right. Okay. So when they were making the movie adaptation, they were basically just making a movie adaptation. They didn't, they didn't, uh, expound on anything. No. Um, in fact, they actually had to cut back on some of the songs. There's actually, okay. I, think, I believe that there's more songs, um, in the in the stage production than there are in the movie. Okay. One of the one of the songs just barely made it. Like they had to literally I guess they were what when a producer was off taking a phone call, like they just snuck in and shot this one 
just these little weird oh, stories no about behind the story. That's, it's that's, actually that's kind of the story with there are worse things I could can do could do in Greece with Rizzo with uh, Stockard Channing because that's a very simple little moment there where she sings that song and I think they snuck that in or they filmed she demand she pleaded that they film it and you know he with the idea that it could be cut you know it, it was going to be cut but right. it, but it stayed in so what do you know what song that it is it is it's one of the first songs with the the grave robber kind of like who is the narrator of this story yeah much? yeah like it's, the balladeer like in Sweeney well not in Sweeney Todd the movie in Sweeney Todd the stage production there's a balladeer as well as three penny opera right. now, now that yeah the, this is the basis this is the basis of this type of musical three penny opera was written by Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile back in the 30s political German theater it was originally sung in German and performed in German and it was very political and it dealt with the denizens of society it was the basically the drug addicts and the murderers it was basically for those of people that don't know it was basically a musical not for the young group is, but it's also not for the people that typically went to musicals right. the, pe- the very rich that could afford to do so right. this was very much a musical for the people right. about the people right are you talking about Three Penny Opera yes well it, it, and even more so than it wasn't even for the middle class we're talking about the people that slept in, in oh yeah in, you know shanties and squatted in buildings and the main character of Three Penny Opera is a murderer he Darn, goes around killing, right? And he's the main, he's the protagonist, and for, so the anti-hero, right? This is, so this is very much repo draws upon all. Oh this. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know that this that's uh, Mac the penny, knife. I was going to say that yeah. this is where we got Mac the knife, from. right? Was well, came from the whole three penny opera, right? Um, in Bobby Darren's version, it, the, the the lyrics are cleaned up a lot, um, right? If yeah. you want to go back, like that song's, yeah. Oh yeah, it's um, all about it's all about slitting throats, basically. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a very very cut. I mean, literally cutthroat kind yeah. of lifestyle, and right. Repo is no different. I would no. say that if it, although if, it does deal with the elite. The family of Gene Co. is a very rich and elitist right. family. And questionably incestuous at times. Yeah, absolutely. They're very, very... Absolutely. Very perverse. Right. Um, and Paul Servino is kind of like sick of his family at this point. Yeah, but like, I mean, he's no he's no gem. Oh, no, 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 no. He's <laughs> yeah, actually... He's, he's he the ultimate... become disgusted at what his family He's actually become. the worst of the bunch, if you ask me. Yeah. He actually is. Yeah. At least yeah. the other... The, his children are at least kind of like upfront about their debauchery. Yeah, and he's... Like Luigi, played by um, Bill Mosley, will just straight up... His coffee was cold, so he stabs the guy who brings him his coffee. That's right. The other brother, played by Ogre, basically has this weird leather... I mean, this is where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of thing comes from. Like, he wears someone else's face at all times. So gruesome. And Paris Hilton, uh, her character, is pretty much addicted to surgery. Yep. And And addicted addicted to Zydrate, which is the street... She's addicted to the street version of Zydrate, not the pharmaceutical one, which is... I mean, talk about slumming. She goes down into the streets, and she hobnobs with, you know... Once again, the denizens so and this, she, to, to get her zydrate. Yeah, who's probably at times, you know, exchanging sexual favors. Sure. But yeah, yeah, for turning drugs. tricks. Yeah. So this movie is—I I didn't realize upon, until this last rewatch—is oddly political. 
It's very political. There's a lot going on with this. I could even get conspiratard on this, and I will a little bit at later on. I just think but, it's a great condemnation of big pharma, though. Oh yeah, which I which well, and just corporate corporate. Corporate takeover in general. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is what our world has become. Right. Yeah. And, and this this movie is kind of like these are the seedy people that are running these sorts of. Yep. And they've got their fingers in everything. Yep. You know, just. So, I mean, but I do think it's very interesting. We've got the big pharma who will provide. It, it, I can't help but think of we've got big pharma. Uh, we've got Jinko who has come up with this very addictive painkiller called Zydrate. Which is kind of like oxycotton, and then you've got the street version, which I would say is heroin. Well, but it, no, it's basically the same thing because he's extracting it from corpses. Yeah, that had it in their bodies. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. So there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of a uh, seedy kind yeah. of like disgusting yeah stuff you, and going you see on him, here. You see him. He goes into the nose of the corpses, and then like you know. Uh, extracts it into his vial, right? And it's this glowing kryptonite. Type it grows. Of green. Yeah, it's well, it's blue. It is blue. It's blue. Okay. I and I always distinguish that it's blue because it actually reminds me of um, the '80s movie Reanimator by Stuart Gordon. Okay, is very well known. It's notorious for its kind of neon green formula that the the doctor constructs to bring back the dead. Oh, I wonder if mm, so. I wonder I, if there was if this was being referenced. I, I'm pretty sure that it's an homage because it, like it. it looks it's it. They glow the same way, mm-hmm. and basically in the '80s, what they did was they were like, "Well, we want something that's kind of eye catching." They had no money to do the movie, so they're like, "Fuck it, we'll use glow sticks," ah. and that's basically what it was. Did they? They didn't do that in Repo. They actually used some CGI for that. Didn't right, they? right, yeah. right. So I, th- I thought that <clears throat> the the the. Shots of the city and the big blimp that goes above this. This is what reminds me of Blade Runner. I thought mm. those were very effective. They're yes. obviously CGI, whereas in Blade Runner it wasn't CGI. Mm. Uh, but it's still effective. It's it's good CGI that they use. Yeah. Yeah. Considering. Yeah. So, I mean, but there's, like I said, when I first watched it, I don't even think I made it all the way through the movie because I was just, I, I wasn't in the mood for a musical I was kind Slasher. of like, yeah. yeah, I was kind of just like, eh. Yeah. But now, having revisited it, like, I, I could see, I could see what they were going for, but there were changes that I would have liked to have made. I, I think the source material is very, very interesting. I just, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Darren Lynn Bassman's direction, though. Tell like, me. It's just... It's a little too kind of rapid fire MTV. Yeah. It, it works with certain songs in this movie, like yeah. the I'm 17 song that features a cameo of Lita Ford that she's uh, Alexa Vegas singing in her bedroom uh, to her father. Cameo of Alita. Alita do, you mean, do you mean Joan Jett? Thank you. Yeah, Joan Jett playing guitar, which actually is kind of a distraction. Like, what? <laughs> where does that come from? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, she did. She did Rocky Horror uh, on Broadway when they revived it uh, a while back. And when they did the time warp number, she gets out her electric guitar and just and apparently it just to- took the song to a whole new level. Wow. <laughs> As you can imagine, you know. So I was thinking, yeah, because uh, Highway to Hell has the Lita Ford cameo. Repo, oh, okay. Repo's right, got, right, that's right, where right. I'm thinking. I'm yep, yep, yep. confounding my movies in my head. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I'm here to keep you on track. Thank you. <laughs> I kind of wish that it was some of the the, the the style and direction. It's a little too. It's too. It's too. It's bombastic. Flashy. Yeah, it and, really is. It's bombastic, and I like. And the material is bombastic enough. Down the what back do you counter? Oh, okay, go ahead. Um. So, to me, I I kind of like when scenes are let to breathe and just kind of. I wish it was treated more like a theatrical production than it. It's. It feels the need to be too much like a movie. Okay. And I mean, it feels very theatrical to me. The sets felt very theatrical. Everything felt very theatrical. The editing was was not. I no. Mean, I mean, that is that is rapid-fire MTV editing going on with that. And that's kind you of... You don't stay on a face for too long at all. No. If, like one second. <laughs> Which brings me back to just the Saw movies. I kind of like to separate the first movie just by itself and not compare it to the rest of the franchise because the first movie was written and directed by these two guys in Australia and Saw gets thrown lumped into the rapid fire editing style there is some of it in the first movie but there's a lot less of it it's much more of a psychological yes thriller yes and then after the success of Saw each Sequel, and this happens with a lot of horror franchises, needs to up the ante. Yeah. So it got so ridiculous. It gets so, like, the traps get absolutely ludicrous. Um, so I like to kind of separate it because, like, that first one to me just works well as kind of like a cerebral psychological movie. And that reverse bear trap, that stays, that still stays in my consciousness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the device on the. That voice, too. that voice, oh, yes, right? There will be blood. Well, that's yeah. saw. Too. Well, that is saw too. You're yeah. right. Um, but that's kind of when it really starts getting very hyperactive, like with the editing style, the rapid cuts. Um, what what new ways can we think of to torture people? Right. Like I think one woman has her hair in this device that rips her scalp off. Yeah. Stuff like that. And they just re they just kind of really get. And then they get lumped into the torture porn genre, but yeah, that, Hostel came out around the same time, right? Yeah, and yeah, the less said about those movies, the better, in my personal opinion. But They're I horrific. mean, it, it, it's just yeah. So I kind of, and that's my gripe with Saw is okay. that I kind of think that okay, you can include like Saw two and everything else in this torture porn genre. I kind of think Saw one is just kind of great by itself. So when we're watching Repo Genetic Opera, we're basically getting the sequels and all of that uh, brouhaha that was infused into those. Right. Yeah. And I can appreciate him wanting to do something different, and I admire him wanting to do something like this. I just don't think that his particular film direction works for this material, and I think that's kind of why it's... it's it, like, I think you summed it up perfectly... It's bombastic. Yeah. It's too much. Oh, and there's yeah. just there's And then you've got the gore. And the gore is so explicit. I mean, when he's singing... Well, um, there is that one number where he's ripping out that guy's guts. He's, like, killing that guy and ripping out his guts. And uh, um, that one... Oh, Lord. That was hard for me to get through. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, and I, so I think that the problem is that this movie could have been... 
more accessible if they had just toned down the gore. Sure, to I me, mean, it I, just I wasn't. Won't, I won't argue with that. You, you know, you could have had the type of sinister aspect of uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier and Marathon Man going on right. without all of that. And it goes back to me, like, we were talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre before this started. Yeah. The first Texas Chainsaw Massacre has very little on-screen violence. It's just kind of what your mind, like, it gives you enough that your mind will make up what, oh my God. Well, like, and, and just being chased by that chainsaw. Just being just chased the sound, by cha- the sound of that chainsaw right. itself. You've got a crazy guy wearing some skin mask, chasing yeah. with the chainsaw is enough. That you don't need enough. to see a lot of the blood and gore. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so I, I wish that this approach was taken with this material. Like, we don't need to, like, it's, it's, if it's you're just a, so much blood, so many, I mean, the, it, it is organ repossession. Right. So, I mean, that in and of itself, you have to... You have to you have to show it, I guess. But I mean, but there's so you, much organs being ripped out, beating hearts, you know, in a hand that right. you know, holding a beating heart. Basically. So I think that's gonna like it's going to be great for gorehounds, but I'm not sure that gorehounds want to sit through a some rock of, opera, right? I mean, I'm sure that there is some cross pollination. If you're a gorehound plus you love rock operas, please message us and let us know but <laughs> as someone who used to like I used to like be like that was me around when this movie came out like I was all about the gore was all about the violence the more explicit you can get and now I sit back and I'm like I'd much rather have it but then it becomes so reliant on CGI that's another problem that I have with this movie it's a little too reliant on the CGI can you elaborate a little bit on that um I would just some of the some of the set pieces were definitely they're enhanced digitally. Yeah, that I it, but it's noticeable it to you? me. Oh, really? I, I can notice it. Um, See, I loved. Uh, I don't know how this was done on stage, but I I love Chase the Morning. You know, I love that that yes. Sarah Brightman and uh, what's her name? Alec- Alexa Vega. Alexa Vega. Uh, that's a terrific scene. And with her eyes uh, creating that uh, image of her mother. Right. I mean, that's that's. That's really well done. It is very involving, and you know, it, and it's and it's uh, uh, Alexa's character's mother that that Sarah Brightman is is uh, manifesting through her eyes, right. basically. And she said, "How did you do that? These eyes can do more than see." Right. Yeah. So she's got the Jinko eyes. So she's got the Jinko eyes, and, and the first time you see her, I think like her makeup is done that accentuates the eyes. And the way she, the way Sarah Sarah Brightman is acting, she's kind of almost robotic, you know. Right. Which was an interesting acting choice for her, at so, least at the beginning. Right. So this was her film debut, Sarah Brightman. I guess so. Did you watch that video, that Phantom of the Opera video? I haven't seen. seen okay. It. So, because uh, I, I messaged it to you. Yeah. So, I, so and share, I'm convinced Ken Russell directed that. I'm convinced he could direct okay. it, but I can't find confirmation but of that. But share a little bit about Sarah Brightman's background All right. with us. So, Sarah Brightman started in a group called Hot Gossip, and she that that uh, it was a British group um, that had a disco hit called "I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper." Um, af- yeah, after that, she auditioned for Andrew Lloyd Webber's cat, uh, Cats, the original cast, uh, in London. And he loved her voice so much that he ended up marrying her and writing Phantom of the Opera for her. Now, when it opened in London, it was a huge success. And I remember, because I was 
chomping at the bit to get tickets for the New York premiere. I actually got tickets for Phantom of the Opera uh, in New York several weeks after opening night. Nice. So, which was unheard of. I mean, it, it had the biggest advance sale oh, of that time. Yeah. Uh, it was everywhere. Actually, that that show cost around eight million dollars. So we're talking about a stage production, yeah, in the eighties. You know, and I think it was the first ticket that uh, reached a hundred dollars. It was. I do remember because I paid a hundred dollars for my ticket. Wow. Two hundred dollars because my friend came with me. Uh, so it was the first time the Broadway show was was that expensive. I mean, we're talking orchestra seats. You know. Right. Uh, so. So there was a big deal bringing Phantom of the Opera to New York because Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted Sarah Brightman to star in the New York production and she wasn't a bankable enough name. And Actors' Equity was saying, no, we need a, an American actress to do this instead. Michael Crawford was a big name playing the Phantom, so that was an easy transition. But Andrew Lloyd Webber was basically saying, like, you don't cast my wife, you don't get my show, you know? So they, they conceded and, uh, and she starred in it. And I saw her in it. Um, so, so I actually got to see Sarah Brightman at the beginning of her career. She was lambasted by the critics, the New York critics, and it was a big question mark what she was going to do with her career after that. She ended up having a very successful, finding her niche in, niche in kind of this techno-operatic type of music that you coined as... Well, I recognized the band that she was in, the group that she was in from the Pure Moods soundtrack. Oh, right, right, right. Well, she worked with the creators of Enigma, I think. So that's that's the type of music. Then it was like, she did other albums before that, but it wasn't until she worked with them that all of a sudden people started buying her albums and she started touring. And her tours were very fantastical. She would fly around on stage like she does at the end of uh, Repo the Genetic Opera. Right. So this was, she was actually, um, they had another actress. I wasn't able to find out who. If you know, please message us. That was actually in her role. And she was cast uh, just a couple weeks before they started filming. Oh, wow. So Did not know that. But she, I mean. She's wonderful in it. She she lends a really, uh, the perfect, you know. Notes, so to speak, in in the in it, very ethereal. Her voice is, um, it's just it's it's otherworldly. Everything about her is kind of otherworldly. So let's talk a little bit about the singing in this movie because I told you it was very it it can be kind of it can be kind of shocking going from scene to scene. It's very easily it's very well it's very easy for me to pick out who has f- like formal singing experience and who doesn't. Right. Um, right. And you still haven't seen Tommy. I keep telling you about Oliver Reed singing yeah, Who we, and Tommy. We, we're That's going to be a trip. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> forward to that one. I, I kind of um, like it, though, when non-singer actors, you know, sing. I, right. That's something I kind of dig. Yeah, to reason. me, I, I think... Anti-singers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm all for that. Um, it actually worked for me in this, in this, this last revisiting. Okay. But I remember being overly critical because there wasn't enough gore and then I was like well this person can't even sing and I don't like this song <laughs> so like now just kind of sitting back and appreciating knowing that everyone's coming from these different places I know that um, Paul Servino as we mentioned is a classically trained opera singer yeah and I can riff a little bit about that please uh, back in the 1970s Patti Lupone who originated originated the, the role of Evita Ava Perone in the New York production of Evita, uh, also Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, di- did a musical called The Baker's Wife in the 70s uh, before Evita. 
and it was based on a French movie, and it originally starred her and Topol from uh, from the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Um, Topol was a major pain in the ass, and he quit the show. This was a show that never made it to Broadway, and for good reason. It had a lot of problems, and the cast and the creative team of it went through hell on tour in its pre-Broadway tryout. And one one of the things that one of the casualties was Topol. He either left the production or was fired from the production. Paul Servino comes in and to replace him, and he's just delighted to be in this in this musical. Wow! And the rest of the cast was bitter by that point. They just people people were calling their agents trying to get out of the show. That that's what, that's how bad it was, and. Uh, they were so annoyed at uh, him coming into the show and being all happy, happy. And Patty Lupone writes in her memoirs like he would run around hitting high C's all the time, and it just drove her nuts. She's just like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't on this sinking ship from <laughs> right, the beginning, you're, right? Right. You're you all think sm- you can save this Titanic? Yeah. Let's wait and see. And he couldn't. Although there is an album, there is an album with Paul Servino and Patty Lupone. Okay, they did record an album. So mm-hmm. he could, so he could sing. He could belt it out. Yeah, um, he is. He's good. I know that Anthony Stewart Head, the yeah. Repo Man. Yeah, he was cast. Alexa, Alexa's father. Right. Yep. Who he, has a terrific voice and yes. is a very good actor. He is. Uh-huh. He was. Um. I did, wasn't a. You know, crucify me in the comments. I wasn't a fan of the Buffy the Vampire TV series, but apparently oh, he's he, from that. He's from that, so you That's don't right. know it either. No, I do so know crucify that. I do, I, both now that you comments. mentioned it, I know who he is from So that. there there was an episode of Buffy where, that was musical. all musical. That's right. And that's where uh, Bowsman saw him and was like, oh, what? That's he can sing. Guy. Yeah. Let's cast and him. Alexa Vega, I think... Was it from like the Disney pedigree? I think. Oh, so she could sing and dance. So she could sing. It, she was sure, like, sure, sure. yeah, um, um, yeah. He though, he acts. He sings it beautifully. He acts it very well. I mean, it's a despicable role, of course, but um, he carries that guilt very right. well and throughout throughout the whole movie. You can feel his guilt is palpable, even though he's this monster. You see how he's become this monster, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not really the true monster, and we'll get into that right. when we discuss the ending of this, right? And then, of course, we have Paris Hilton, who can, who can sing, given the right parts. Yeah, and I, she was given the right parts in this movie. I actually bought her CD when she recorded an album. Uh, back around that time. Okay. Yeah, and she's and it's actually pretty good. Believe All right. it or not. Yeah. She, the first song I heard from it was a single called "Screwed," and it was right after that videotape came out of that sex tape came out of her <laughs> and that dude. Right. And then the song is like, "I'm screwed." <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> I, so, I thought that was the most brilliant thing in the world. So all of a sudden, I was like into Paris Hilton as a singer. So I will say this: I got to give her credit. For being more self-aware than I think people give her credit for. Sure, yeah. Um, and also a great song from that album, just real quick, is called Stars Are Blind. Great song, great video. It's, it's got kind of a reggae uh, beat to it. It's a great song. Yeah, so great pop song. I, I, I think that she was perfectly cast in mm-hmm. this because... She's a brunette. She's wearing a dark wig or like a brown, reddish type of wig. So she kind of, yeah, she's stolen her sister's hair. Nikki, is, Nikki Hilton oh, is a right, brunette. That's right. Um, 
who I always found more attractive than Paris. Oh, okay. That's just a weird off-topic tangent. Okay. So. There's some really cool, um, uh, I want to say smarmy stuff about her that I'll tell you after the recording. Oh, okay. About her and her sister. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. but I, I can't, I, I she if I had to watch a movie where she carried the entire movie, no, I don't think I could handle it. No, so she, she's in she's in one of, she's in a horror movie. She's House of Wax. Slash, she is in House of Wax, which I, I, she's good in that too. And she it, it, it it's funny though because I think they were they were just like okay we got Paris Hilton in this movie we got to give her a great death scene and they do in House of Wax. She gets she gets through spe- the head. She gets speared through the head with like a pipe. With basically like a phallus symbol, basically. Yeah, it's kind of phallic, yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, what I like about Repo is that it's totally just so, like, tongue-in-cheek that this person is addicted to plastic surgery. Yeah. Pla- it's very got- interesting to see her in this role. At one point, her face actually falls. Well, it, it's while she's performing for a crowd. Her face falls off. Yeah, and you see end. just like the tissues and it's muscles all blood and, blood. and tissue. It's right. hideous. But even before that scene, we've got the scene where the it's a botched surgery yeah. where she looks like she kind of looks like she's scarred like the Joker. Like she, you could put on some white makeup and she could be the Joker yeah. in a Batman movie. Yeah. But I just love that because. People get a thrill out of all these botched celebrity surgeries, right, and like these right. people don't look real now. We yeah. talked about those weird twins. Uh, the oh, ones, right, right, the right. ones that the, to their grave were always like, "We didn't get plastic surgery." If you look at these two, they the, look. What are they? The Romanoff twins? Something or like something that. Like yeah, that. yeah. They're, they're yeah. fucking weird looking. Oh yeah, but I mean, they're, they're like in their seventies, and they have these this plastic surgery that makes them look like, um, I guess, like Madonna <laughs> now. <laughs> With the puffy cheeks and they, everything, they look like <laughs> the real life version of one of those boardwalk caricatures yeah. pe- people would draw of you yeah, with right. a really big head and right. a small body and the big cheeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically what they look like now. But back to Paris Hilton. Yes. So we've got this scene where, um, and she doesn't sing that much in the movie. I think that a couple of the songs for her character were cut from the movie. Oh, that's too she bad. Doesn't, she doesn't she, sing that much she in She doesn't. She sings in Zydrate on Anatomy. Right. Uh, and and then she does the, sing, you know, she sings the sung dialogue a lot. Right. And But I think that there was another song, because the performance at the end, like, she only sings a couple lines and then her face falls and it's, off. And it's highly produced. It's almost yeah. like she's singing through autotune or something. So, um, it, but the rest of their siblings... Um, the brother who cannot sing is from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Bill Mosley, yes. yes. He plays Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Who just likes to kill and fuck, basically. Ah, uh, he doesn't fuck anybody in Texas. Nobody Chainsaw. sings. No, 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 no. Oh, in no. this. In Repo. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I keep yes. wanting to call it Gene Co. That's the Gene company. Co. is the company. Yeah. So Bill Mosley, but we're going to have to listen after the show that apparently he's got this like weird indie avant-garde rock group that he sings in. And the only other person that I recognize from the group is uh, notoriously gifted guitarist Buckethead, from uh, who's usually just known from his own um, just being a guitarist. Okay, He's an incredibly gifted guitarist called him Buckethead because he always wears a white mannequin mask over his face, so you can't see who he is, and wears oh, an empty disturbing. That's wears, like from the movie, and wears an empty Kentucky Fried bucket on his head. <laughs> 
But I guess the group that he was he was the lead guitarist for Guns N' Roses for a period of time. Oh, whoa. So we went from Slash with the top hat to Buckethead with um, the bucket on his head. <laughs> but he's an incredible guitarist. But anyway, they've got a group, so I'm not sure if, if they're good or not. Uh, but from, from this movie alone, I'm going to say Bill Mosley's singing is not the best. Also, the other brother is from Skinny Puppy and actually can sing. He actually can yeah. sing, but yeah. he does. I mean, if you've heard Skinny Puppy, it's very much industrial rock okay. kind of singing. Right. Um, very uh, a lot of effects on the voice, very distorted okay. kind of singing. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Skinny Puppy is basically kind of like the Canadian Nine Inch Nails before the American Nine Inch Nails were a thing. Okay. They, they were pretty much... They had a lot of electronic... They were doing electronic production. industrial rock. All right. Um, Got it. But they never had the uh, the crossover mainstream appeal that something like Nine Inch Nails... Or the management that Nine Inch Nails had. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's... I mean, check out some Skinny Puppy. They're very, very good. Um, but he's actually... I mean, he doesn't have to do much as far as acting here because he's kind of the fake of whatever kind it's of... It's almost like Kabuki. Well, I was going to say, what, it's know? basically like Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. You're basically let that mask do all the acting yeah. for you. Yeah. Because, I mean, the great part, and what I what differentiates this greatly from Texas Chainsaw Massacre is instead of just slopping down the face like... Uh, Leatherface does. He's got these hooks yeah. that connected. He's got these oh, like connectors. Gnarly as so. I mean, be. that's and I think that's kind of what I mean. If you're a bit, if you can handle some of the more over the top gore, then I think this is really good. But I think that they could have toned toned it down and kind of gone up for a more tongue in cheek looseness with some of this material. Yeah, that, to give it more more of a of a Rocky Horror vibe because I don't get oh I get a Rocky Horror vibe especially that number where he's remember what you did to Marnie where right. he's ripping out the guy's guts and there's these like ladies in stiletto heels like you know marching around as he's doing that that's very Rocky Horror right. there's a lot you know and given given the over top over the top gore of this there still is and I can't believe I'm I'm being so constructive about this movie I did hate it but um, but there is a real good focus on the plot and the characters mm. like you get definite characterization going on you and do. you never really lose sight of the plot no it's very yeah. easy and, and I found the songs the more I listen to them the catchier they are the better that I like them Side Right Anatomy and Chase the Morning are my favorites they're but, great yeah but the balladeer also is has some good stuff um, drug market, you right? Know, that, which which that, is part of Zydra. I even like the testify song at the end when they're kind of they're introducing that final act. Uh, the last song she sings is a good song. I, I never love you so much. I it's guess a very touching song. Is between that between the, her and her father? Yeah. Uh, so it is. That's when I was just like, I can't take this anymore. And I thought this was your choice for the musical. March and April, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to say how how much longer do we have of this movie. I just wanted to sit it out because you know you sat through two of mine in the past couple of weeks. So I just grit my teeth and bear it. But that whole last. But this act, was your choice. It, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> when it, when she's singing that love song with her father, it's 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 
It's perverse. And they're lying in a pool of blood. Right. I think it's Sarah Brightman's blood after she's been like... After it's been it's hers and the father's. Because he's been... Oh, that's right. He's sure. been, slu- he's that's been right. stabbed and shot. That's right. That's right. So that's we've right. got a lot, a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, but and then her... But her song at the very end. Right. When she gets up and she walks out of the theater. This is... This is this harkens to MK Ultra Monarch programming that I talk about and not talk about, but it's it's trauma based. Uh, it's trauma based mind control where you actually reach your full potential. It's a shortcut to really to reaching your full potential, and it's done through trauma. And when you experience trauma, all of a sudden you can kind of you can kind of be superhuman. Like right. it's it. Beyond the adrenaline rush, you've also, like, your your mind has kind of snapped. And all of a sudden, you can do things that you've never done before. And this is, you know, this is, it, it's not the way to go. No. But this is, this is prevalent in a lot of, um, <clears throat> in a lot of covert places in, of society. And a lot of, a lot of public covert places in society. So when I say that, I mean that. It's it's prevalent in the entertainment industry. It's prevalent in even uh, ath- athletics. So, I that's so I that's just, pretty much all I can say. Okay. In the original stage production, mm-hmm. Nathan Wallace doesn't die. Which one is Nathan Wallace? The, the father? father. He does not die. No. Thoughts on that? I I have no thoughts okay. on that. That changes things considerably. So right. do they still sing the same love song? I. I don't know. I'm okay. not sure. All I know is that it, this was one of the trivia things that Nathan Wallace does not die in the original stage production. Oh, wow, wow, Now, wow. this was originally intended as the middle part of a planned trilogy. They were going to do a movie that happened with the events before this, which I don't think would have worked out that well because we got a lot of flashbacks mm-hmm. to what happened before that. Uh, well, in comic strip form. Right. Especially. And then what would happen after this? Because this movie does kind of what they call the the term is sequel bait. It does kind of it sequel, is sequel bait. bait. And you wonder what happens to Alexa's character. Does she end up? Does she actually end up owning Gene Co? Because everybody else is dead, you know. Or does she just walk away from it? Well, you totally. were you were so tuned out that you. <laughs> I had to oh, recap so, the ending. Please. Oh, tell me, tell so me. So she leaves. Yeah, she gets in a car and leaves. Right. We don't know where she goes. But she does not retain ownership of Gene Co. Okay. The three siblings decide they take over Gene Co. Oh, that's horrible. So that's just good. you make things even worse. So Amber Sweet then is kind of like the head of G- is going to be the head because her two brothers are crazy. Um, it auctions off her face for money. The brother, Luigi, played by Bill Mosley, kills the three highest bidders, and the other brother, played by Ogre, is the highest bidder to wear, and now wears his own sister's face over his Ah! So we are given some, Ah! we are given some closure to what happens here, but that's, yeah. Ah. Um, And what happens to Amber? Amber Sweet? Yeah. Paris does Hilton? She, Paris Hilton. Does she end up walking around without a face forever? Well, I, I'm guessing we're never going to know because this movie did not do very well to box office. It office. certainly did not. So uh, we're probably never going to know. But speaking of the flashbacks, so this entire movie was shot digitally except for the flashbacks. 
The flashbacks were shot on 16 millimeter. Okay. But it's so... This movie is so overproduced in post-production that I couldn't really even... Like, if I hadn't read that, that's not something I would have guessed. Maybe I need to go back and watch the flashback scenes. But okay. I, I remember, didn't... I remember the, the, the review in the Village Voice saying... It looked like it was shot on a cell phone. I don't really agree with that, but I mean, yeah, yeah. it's it's not. I mean, it's not that cheaply shot. But, <laughs> but you got to figure. All right, so we just said the budget of this was eight point five million, and you said that was the budget of basically the Phantom of the Opera, right? Yeah, the stage production. You know, like so, what ten twenty years earlier, right? So we're talking a stage production on Broadway, and then a movie. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, this was mm-hmm. very much. A very limited budget. And like mm-hmm. I said, we kind of racked up some of the aspects of the budget that would have added to it, this being a very, very tight schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But something else that I think that it was uh, interesting. So the ending of this movie, we actually get um, this the whole sordid past of these characters is revealed. Mm-hmm. You get and the backstory. You get it. Yeah, it's flushed out. It's, it's flushed it's, out. So basically, Paul Servino was in love with this woman who left him for Anthony Stewart Head, mm-hmm. the Repo Man, mm-hmm. and they had a daughter. Mm-hmm. But and Sarah Brightman was best friends with the with the mother slash wife. So right. She was Alexa's uh, godmother. Godmother. Mm-hmm. She was so, and so we get these two stories. Then kind of pivot away from each other. Blind Mags is actually given corneas. Yep. But the contract is that she's forever the voice of Jinko. Right. And right. What happens is that it turns out that um, the woman, uh, the other woman in question that's pregnant, is very very sick. And Anthony Stewart Head's character has come up with a cure for her, but unbeknownst to him, it was poisoned by Paul Servino. Mm-hmm. So he ended up killing his wife, he thinks. But it was actually Paul Servino but doing it. Was it. Actually it was actually set up. So later, when they sing "Remember What You Did to Marnie," it's like guilt, 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 and it's it's a setup. He's right. actually. Not to blame for her death. But and what that's he, what's turned him into such a uh, a monster. Right. Yeah. But what he is to blame for is poisoning his own daughter so she wouldn't right. leave the house. That's right. So she would never leave him, that's which right. is Munchausen by proxy, yep. which is when um, someone will, you know, it's very often happens with uh, a mother and their children, but it can't happen with other people. It is a real disorder that people do. They they will keep someone sick or th- convince someone that they are so sick that yeah. they become reliant on them. It's kind of a forced codependency. Of course. And yeah. um, so he is guilty of that, though. Yeah. That he is guilty of. He yeah. is poisoning his own daughter to, yep. to keep her sick so she'll never leave. So and this, she's, is, this is part of the big... Sh- I do remember this. This was part of the big showdown at the end where right. where she's being told to kill him because he has been poisoning her, and so that's her struggle at that moment. Right. She doesn't want her, her father to die. No. But at the same time, she had no idea that he had been poisoning her all this time. So we get keeping, her, her, keeping her hostage in that house. So we get... Yeah, and then we get the big emotional climax mm-hmm. and he it, it, we get the nice little du- duet 
Didn't Know I Love You So Much, mm-hmm. which was a, a song that one of the two composers used to sing to their their infant baby. Oh. So it's okay. got a very... Okay. S- All right. So it's kind of got a, a sweet backstory there. I guess. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's yeah. being used in a truly gruesome context. Yeah, I was going to say... You're, grotesque you're, context. I think it's kind of like you're the first child of a parent kind of realizing that they could never love something as much as their yeah. their baby. Yeah. And then we get kind of... Yeah, we get them bathed in blood. <laughs> yeah. A, da- a daughter who's been poisoned her entire life by her father. So, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah. It's kind of like... Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of mixed messages. Mm-hmm. Kind of. It's not very... There's a, there are a lot of different layers going on. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's kind of why something that I will say, and I, maybe this is this is maybe I'm way off base, but what the comparison to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that's a lot more fun than this movie is. Oh yeah, this it, movie it's, is it's totally not different in my opinion. It's totally different in my opinion. This movie is kind mean, of a downer. It kind of is like it's a, it's it, horrific. I mean, I mean, and then I say that and when I say that, I don't mean like horror genre. No, I mean, it does fit into the horror genre kind of. Uh, it's more of a slasher, but I mean, it's it's um, it's truly awful what like these the what un- these characters have to well, go through. I was going to say what they do to each other. What too. they do to each other. There's just no. I mean, Alexis pre- and and Blind Mag Sarah Brightman are pre- basically the two. Best, you know, the two best characters in terms of virtue, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Well-meaning. Yeah. Well-meaning. The rest of them, everybody else. I can't think oh, of anybody they're all, else. They're, they're all, all the they're testable all very corrupted. Co- corrupted. Yeah. Even, I mean, even, I mean, he he remains, well, I was going to say not the grave robber, but he almost gets Alexa Vega killed. At the like, beginning. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, this chivalrous friend to her. You know? Yes, he's riding in the back of a dump truck. Yeah, and he does I mean, this very nice little like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hand gesture and a, a uh-huh. half bow. Uh-huh. But like, I mean, so that's the thing. This movie is so, I mean, it can be, and I, I'm someone that can handle like gore, but this movie's just unnecessarily gross at times. I guess it is. I would it's say, like, I would agree. Like, I would agree with that. I, I mean, it's, I, you know. But the unrelenting darkness of it too is what really pervades. I mean, these people are living in a in a hell, and it is. It's post apocalyptic where right. millions of people have died because of a plague, I guess. Um, and then everything turns into chaos, and the government starts becoming very, very corrupt. And the corporate corporate government corporate government. I was going to say right, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. very much kind yeah. of like you know a, a finger wag at big at big pharma, mm-hmm. but um. You know, for me, I you know I made a one eighty on the movie. I I I, I enjoyed it more now. Um, you like that whole ending that went on and on and on and on? No, <laughs> Lord, no. The ending to me lo- was way too bloated. Yeah, um, they're sitting. On I that like stage. Yeah, I like that song. Didn't know I could love you so much. I kind of wish it was placed somewhere else in the movie. Okay, um, I think that it might have been. I think something like that could have worked well as like her singing a duet to like a a virtual vision of like her mother, perhaps something like that. But there needed to be, I guess it works in terms of a reconciliation between her and her father. But I'd also be very curious to see 
a version where he doesn't die. Yeah. Um, I also didn't like the way that the movie ended. Like, she goes off. I think the movie should have ended with her just going, getting in that car and driving off and us not knowing anything else. Yeah. That tacked on ending with... With the, oh, with, with, the, with the family taking over, the siblings taking yeah. over the company. See, I don't, I've kind of blocked it out. I do remember it as you tell me You it. were, like, tuned out, and I remember you, I said, you want me to, you go, don't rewind it. Just <laughs> tell me what happened in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just. Couldn't wait to be released from so this movie. So you, so I, so I summed it up for you. I was just like, okay, well, I'll just sum it up for you. But like, that's exactly what you said to me. You're like, do not rewind it. Tell me what happened in one sentence. <laughs> I remember that. So, <laughs> so, but again, you know, I mean, depending on what your emotional state was, this might not be the right movie for you. When I first watched it, I was not. I was expecting something different. I didn't get what I was expecting, so I kind of just forgot about the movie. Um, and then, whether you liked it or not, this was your idea, so I did order it. And so, I, oh wow, I, you you paid for the yeah okay. No, I did. Okay, I didn't pay much. Well, for you'll it, keep so. it though. You liked it. You'll you'll enjoy having it. Oh in yeah, your yeah, yeah. Collection. I I actually I'm I'm interested to go back and kind of there's some um some bonus features. Uh, which is not something we talk about a lot on here, but there are scene select commentaries with Paris Hilton and deleted scenes with optional commentary by Paris Hilton. So I'm wondering if those are songs that were cut from the movie. Oh, I'd be interested in seeing those just to see and, how she handles all that. And I had to say that I started watching. There's also video sing-alongs with a couple songs. No. So, yeah. What like the sound of music bouncing ball thing? I know would know imagine so. About? Yeah. No, with this movie, it's probably like a beating bloody heart. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I was not. I was not kind of tuned in with the co- the commentary with uh, Darren Lynn Bowsman and some of the actors. But I found that the co- audio commentary with the director and the co-creators of the original source material was very, very interesting to hear those two talk about where this this project je- came from, the yeah, genesis the of the genesis project, of and it, how yeah. it how it evolved. So yeah. I um, mean, that is cool. That you know, that's how Hedwig started, right? Yeah, which is another thing, uh, which, which I saw on stage as well. Which is something that we will eventually cover on the show. I have have added it to the list. So when we do musicals again at some point... um, Well, we can throw one in once in a while. We don't have to do like a whole month of musicals just to... It was kind of fun, though, to do a whole month of musicals. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. (laughs) I'm glad to hear you say that. Someone who's not necessarily a fan of musicals. A lot of people are not fans of musicals. I used to I used to say when people were like I don't like musicals I'd be like oh I'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't like to have fun in your life yeah right <laughs> so um but we're gonna start wrapping things up here we've we got prep we're already there huh well do you have a lot more to say no yeah, I was gonna say okay uh, I thought we'd just kind of keep I mean we're already over an hour so okay. I mean that's that's yeah. kind of enough yeah um this is kind of a movie uh, I could. It clearly comes in. There's like really no middle ground with this movie. You're either gonna like it or you're not gonna like it. Yeah, I can't see a lot of people loving this movie. Right. I can see people going like, okay, I get what it is, but for me, that's kind of where I I land. I'm kind of like, I get where it is, but I could see, I can can I kind of want to, I'd like to see this material done with a different director. 
Okay. Or maybe just I'd like to see the original stage production of this. That's kind of what I it's would. It's got to be filmed. It's I would be imagine somewhere. that there's a probably yeah. bootleg floating yeah. around on YouTube. Yeah. But um, well, or maybe, maybe not YouTube. I don't know how you'd get your mitts on something like that. The dark web. Yes. <laughs> yes. I used to have a bootleg of Hedwig stage production. Actually, no way. I borrowed it from a friend who, yeah, who had it. So, Repo the Genetic Opera. Um, I'm glad that I revisited it because I have a m- more respect for it. But I kind of respect the concept more than I respect this movie. Okay, I'm gonna say that. Okay, Fair and enough. um, and. Your final thoughts. Um, I mean, just it was just grueling. There was there were parts that I just didn't even want. The gore, it was the gore, pretty much, that that just you know repulsed me. After a certain point, it's just such a. It, I used this word earlier. It's such a smarmy story. Huh. That's all. <laughs> all right. So before we end, I'm just going to quickly read this to you, and I want you to let me know if any of this rings a bell. Okay. So this is a plot synopsis for a movie. Um, I'm not going to say what, but I'm just going to start reading it, and let me know what you think. Okay. In 2025, advancements in medical technology have perfected biomechanical organs. A corporation known as the Union sells these expensive artifacts on credit. And when customers are unable or unwilling to pay for their artiforge, the union sends repo men to locate and forcibly repossess the organ, invariably resulting in the death of the owner. Same thing. It's repo men. Repo men. Right. The 2010 movie starring Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. Same thing. Which is, how could they, how could this not give some credit? I wonder how they got away with this. I don't know. that's, wow. Yeah. So... It's interesting that we will never cover Repo Man on this show, but we've covered Repo Man, which mm-hmm. we both agree is fucking awesome. Yeah, oh yeah. And Repo, the genetic opera, which I can tolerate, and you're kind of like, mm-hmm. no, no, yeah. I'm not even kind of like, mm, I don't ever want to see it again. But will you? But will you still? Re- you told me that you watch on YouTube the Chase the Morning song. Will I like you, Chase the Morning. Will you still watch that song? Yes, I will. And the Zydrate song. Not so much. Okay. Not so much. I'm kind of over that now, too. Yeah. But Chase I, the Morning, I mean, there's no gore in that. It's, no, it's a, and it's, it's a beautiful about, song. That vo- yeah. that little vocal line, that melody. Whew. And there's a lot of spoken word in that, especially from Sarah Brightman. So. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a great moment where she's approaching her goddaughter who doesn't know she's her goddaughter. Right. You know, and, and, uh, and talking to her, and it's... it's uh, it's um it's a very uh, clandestine visit to the house that that blind mag is doing and she's afraid of getting caught and she does get caught she gets mm-hmm. caught by um by her father and then they have it out about about the whole thing you never told her that i was her godmother i was supposed to be in her life from the beginning right. i mean this is this is good stuff this is stuff that could happen to anybody Right. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I would be I I'd be very interested to see just the stage production of this without yeah. some of the. Um, well, I wonder how they did the special effects if they did any for the stage production. I don't Especially know. Especially for Chase the Morning because that's part of the song. It's in the lyrics. Yeah. Uh huh. So, um, but uh, we'd be interested to hear your feedback. Please, what did you think of Reboot the Genetic Opera? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I mean, w- were there elements that you would like that you would still, even though you don't. 
overwhelmingly dislike this movie, that song is enough for you to, to you'll still rewatch. Yeah, because it's it's a, the song's good enough by itself. Yeah, so the scene it, yeah is good enough by itself. Absolutely. And the song. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean that's, you, were, you were like, is this because I would you could tell I was into it when it was being performed. You were like, is this your jam? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was I was I was, wondering, I was waiting for this song to come in. I was like, that's gonna be the one that gets them. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I uh, I think that um, very interesting idea, very interesting story. Um, the execution of the movie is another matter yeah, for you. Yeah, it's just something else. So um, thank you all for joining us on this uh, musical excursion on the Cult Film Companion. We are, of course, on Twitter at Cult Film Comp, Instagram at uh, cult, cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. We are on all major podcast platforms. Please join our Facebook group. And if you have any other cult musicals um, in mind, please send them our way. The more obscure, the better. And um, Hannibal, if, the, not Hannibal, the Cannibal. What was it? What's the one by the, the Trey Brothers? The Oh, South I think it's Cannibal the Musical. Cannibal the Musical. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a cult. That that is. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe we'll do that at some point. But we'll um, Repo the Genetic Opera um, has its moments, but as a whole, you know, I, uh, no comment, no comment from Andrew. <laughs> so thank you all, and um, we thank you again for joining us. And we've got lots and lots of good stuff coming. So spread the word and keep it cult. Good night. Night. <laughs>